So do you drink enough water? Drink enough water in your life? How about drinking enough water right before that, that workout, that exercise time? Yeah, I know. Three days after we just put more food in our stomachs in 30 minutes than we've put in the refrigerator in 30 days, I'm talking about exercise, right? Talking about drinking water and being healthy. Did you know, though, that drinking water can actually make you stronger, especially a little stronger before you head into that holiday workout? One report actually says this, water energizes your muscles, lubricates your joints, helps you tolerate more pain, and speeds up your recovery time. Don't sound like it, thanks. Dietitian noticed this. If you start out dehydrated, you won't get a good workout. You'll get dizzy, lethargic, your muscles won't work as well, you won't feel as sharp mentally, and you'll get cramps sooner. That's not a workout scene for me. That's just like every day getting out of the bed, right? I mean, that's, I don't even have to go to the gym for that feeling. It's there. If we use this water advice to apply to the holidays, we might be able to say this. Water can energize your muscles for shopping. Water can lubricate your joints for shopping. Water can help you tolerate the pain of shopping. I'm raising my own hand there. And water can speed up your recovery after shopping. We'll help from water everywhere we go. But some people might say this. I just, I don't like water because it doesn't have any taste. There's nothing to it. No fear. There is now water that has been infused with your favorite fruit. In fact, one marketing research report says that at the end of 2019, water infused, fruit infused water products have jumped to $10 billion in profits. And over the next 10 years, they estimate that it'll be another $11 billion from fruit infused water. That will definitely energize the wallets of a lot of companies around the world, right? There is another kind of water that is different than something that you find in a bottle. You see, what happens with, with fruit-infused water is, is that fruit is, is put in some kind of process where the, the fruit flavor is extracted, and then it's spread out through all of the water. But there's a type of infusion that happens outside of a water bottle. There's a, a type of infusion that can impact your life today. It's an infusion that does more than just heal your muscles and help your muscles and energize your muscles. It's an infusion that can heal and help and energize your soul. And on that day when everything feels like it's falling apart, and maybe you've had that day this week, or maybe at that day at school that's just going rough, or maybe that first hour at work when everything is going wrong, this particular kind of infusion can completely change the attitude of your heart and your mind. So what kind of infusion is that? Well, let's find out. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A Christian, a person who is believing in and following after and, and relying on and trusting in and clinging to Jesus, that person can do all things through Christ. That person is being, has been, and will continue to be infused with Christ, infused with the strength of Christ. What does that mean? Well, let's first say what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean 
that you can do anything through Christ. You can do all things, but that doesn't mean you can do anything in Christ. If we look back at practically, we could say this. You can compete in the triathlon, but you may not complete the triathlon through Christ. You can play in the game, but you may not win the game through Christ. You can camp out in line on Black Friday through Christ, but you may not get the best doorbuster deal through Christ. You can do all things through Christ, but you may not be able to do anything in Christ. Why? Well, if we look at it practically, we could say this. Maybe you can't do it because you're too tall or you're too short or you're too old or you're too young or you're not creative enough or you're not linear enough or it's too hot or it's too cold or you're too rich or you're too poor. Maybe you may not even have enough daylight or enough dark for something to work. In other words, there's a gazillion reasons, practical reasons, why you may not be able to do some certain thing. But it may not be practical. It might be spiritual. It could be that your sin might prevent you from doing something through Christ. You might worship your fear, your worry, your stress, your, your anger, your pride, your arrogance, your money, your retirement, your, your education, your hiking, your fishing, your golfing, your shopping, your stamp collecting, your family, your friends, whatever it is. You might worship those things so much that you are out of tune with Jesus to the decree that you actually fight against what you have been infused with. Or at the very least, you would ignore what you've been infused with. Could be practical, could be spiritual, or it could be divine. It could be that, that God, in His sovereignty, in His kind and wise plans, might keep you from doing some certain thing. Could be practical, could be spiritual could be divine. We can do all things through Christ, but that doesn't mean we can do anything we want through Christ. What would that look like in real life? Well, imagine Peggy Sue. Peggy Sue is 11 years old, and she goes to her dad, and she says, Dad, I want to be a doctor. And her dad says, man, that's exciting, sweetie. You know what? Listen, you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you decade later, she finishes up college, gets into medical school, plows ahead. She's walking with the Lord. She's praying really hard. She's studying really hard, but she just can't make the grades in medical school, and she has to drop out. And she goes home, and she says, Dad, I don't get it. I've worked really hard. I've prayed really hard. I'm, I'm following after God really hard. You told me that I could do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Why can't I do this. His intentions were great, but, but in a sense, her dad kind of lied to her through a by worse, you know? Gave her just half of the truth. When Paul says that a Christian can do all things through Christ, he's, he's not saying dream whatever you want. Come up with any idea you want and Jesus will be your lucky charm to make it happen. So if he's not saying that, what is he saying? Well, we've got to go back one chapter to, to get a, a good, healthy answer for that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, Paul said this, I count all things 
to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. This is glorious math here. Paul says, well, when I take everything in my life, when I take my money, my gifts, my skills, my talents, my abilities, my education, when I take my family background, when I take the things I've accomplished, when I take my sports memorabilia, when I take everything from my workshop, all of my tools, my family, my friends, anything and everything in my life, when I take all of it and put it on one side of the scale, and then I take my salvation in Jesus and put it in the other side of the scale, the scale shoots up. It radically changes because the weight of being found in Christ, the weight of gaining Christ, the weight of being saved, the weight of being infused with Christ is so great and so wonderful and so satisfying. Nothing else can compare. Nothing can compare. The reason that Paul says I can do all things through Christ is because being found in Christ, being infused with the strength of Christ, it was his main thing. He could do all things because he had the main thing. It was the primary definition of who he was. Not his family name, not his education, not his career, not his favorite sports team, not his financial situation, not anything else in his life. If you were to go up to Paul and say, hey man, who are you? Paul, with no reservation, would say, I am found in Christ. That's who I am. That's, that's the definition of my life. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. Paul was content to have Christ, period. Period. What about us? Are, are, are we content to have Christ, period? Or do we need something else? Do we need Christ plus something? Yeah, Jesus is good, but I also need this. Now, look, we're not talking foolish here, okay? We need family. We need friends, you know? We need somewhere to, to live. We need a, a roof over our head. We, we need clothes. We need shoes. We need food. We need water. We need bacon. We need nine-layer caramel cake. We need red velvet cake. We need these things, okay? So there's things that we need. We're, we're not talking about that. But, but when we peel everything else away, when it comes to your soul, not your neighborhood, not your holiday, not your career, not your education, not your family, when it comes to your soul, what you need most, the one thing you need is Christ the Lord. That's what you need the most. And how did Paul know that? How had Paul figured this out? How did Paul knew, know that the infusion of Christ in the life of a believer was the one thing that mattered the most? Well, he found this out actually from, from Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said this to his disciples, which means he also said it to Paul, which means he's also saying it to us today. And it says this, Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. What does he mean by that, nothing? I mean, that, that can't be true, right? I mean, we know people who are not Christians. that they, they do things. They do all kind of things. 
We know scientists and doctors and, and educators and athletes and, and, and artists. We, we know all kind of people that, that do things. So what does Jesus mean here when he says you, you can't do anything? That by us, we, we can do nothing without him. Well, imagine it this way. Imagine that I'm a, a research scientist and that I develop a cure for a rare terminal disease that hits kids 18 and under. And, and this cure is, is pretty amazing. In fact, one of the reasons that I was so passionate about trying to create this cure is because perhaps my son had this incurable disease. And so I'm doing something, right? I mean, my research has, has produced this, this amazing cure. I'm, I'm not doing nothing. I'm, I'm doing something. In fact, my cure actually has saved my own son. But then imagine my son lives a long life because of this cure. And in old age, he's facing the point of death, and he's not in Christ. He hasn't been infused with Christ. He's not found in Christ. He's not right with God. He's not saved. Then all of a sudden, my cure is not as valuable as it once was because my medical cure doesn't work with God. It wasn't that I was doing nothing, nothing. It's just that there is something greater needed. My cure wasn't nothing, nothing. It was something, something. But it was not something eternal. When a person stands before God in, in what the Bible describes as a moment of judgment and accountability, when that moment happens, what a person needs the most is to be found in Christ. That long before that moment, that they've been infused with Christ, infused with the strength of Christ. When a person is standing before God, ultimately the only thing that will matter is whether or not Jesus says, this one is with me. Think about it this way. Are you doing good things? Hey, it's that time of year. Time of year to do some good things. Time of year is to be, to be kind and charitable. I, I saw the Salvation Army. You, you don't even have to have any money this year. They'll stripe your card. They got some kind of little thing right there at the red box. I hadn't seen one yet, but they say they got it. This, this is the time of year to be kind, to be gracious. So are you doing good things? Or are you doing God things? And here's the math. If you're doing God things, you'll do good things. It, it works that way. If you're doing God things, you're doing good things. But if you're doing good things and not doing God things, then, then the math is, is off. We've heard the old saying, it goes like this, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime. Right? I mean, that's, that's a good thing. But then you, you put that through the filter of Jesus saying that he was going to make his friends fishers of men. And someone who's a, a fisher of men is someone who is loving Jesus. They've been infused with the strength of Christ, and they want other people to be infused with the strength of Christ. And so we might take that old adage, and, and we might give it a, a gospel twist that might sound like this. Give a man a fish, and you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you'll feed him for a lifetime. Make him a fisher of men, and he will live forever, and he will lead others to live forever. Good things and God things are a little different. 
So when Paul is talking about being found in Jesus Christ, what he's saying is this. If Jesus is your main thing, you can do all the other things through Christ. Because if you're doing them through Christ, you've discovered that being infused with Jesus is your main thing, and it affects everything else in life. So now that we've defined what Paul means a little bit here, let's, let's go back to our story with Peggy Sue. So Peggy Sue comes in, she tells her dad, hey, dad, I want to be a doctor. But this time, her dad says this, honey, that's exciting. Let's start praying about this together. And then let's start looking around and and making sure over the years to come that, that we make sure we keep up with all the math and science requirements that would allow you to pursue something like this. And one day, honey, One day you might be able to use your medical knowledge to radically and amazingly help people. But if not, if it doesn't work out for you to be a doctor, then honey, I want you to know this. No matter what you do and no matter what you face in life, you can face and do all of those things through Christ. It's a slight difference, but it's a major difference in describing the work and the person of Jesus. See, Peggy Sue, she can find all the strength she needs for life in Christ. And so can I, and so can you. But how? How does Christ infuse his strength in us? I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, the Bible speaks of it in a lot of different ways, using a lot of different language, but but I, I can't explain it. It is the grandest mystery of what it means to be a Christian. It's the most wonderful and most fantastic thing about what it means to follow Jesus, that that the strength of heaven, the strength of God, the strength of Jesus is infused into our lives. I, I can't explain how that happens, but I do know this. I'm supposed to keep telling you it happens. And I'm supposed to keep telling you that it happens again and again and again. And it can happen today, and it can happen tomorrow, and it can happen Tuesday morning, and it can happen Wednesday night. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor and for 30 years was the pastor of Westminster Church, Westminster Chapel in London. He said this, The business of Christian preaching is to say to the people in this uncertain world that you must ask yourself, how am I going to face the future? How can I meet it all? Look, we're all in that question almost every week. God, God, how how can I deal with this? How how can I step in and step up in in this situation? This is what he says. For me to give my views on international politics will not help anybody. But thank God there is something I can do. I can tell you of something. I can tell you of a way which, if you practice and follow it, will enable you with the Apostle Paul to say something like this. I am strong. I am able for anything that may happen to me, whether it be peace or war, whether it be freedom or slavery, whether it be the kind of life we have known for so long, or whether it be entirely different, I am ready for it. I can't tell you the intricacies of of how Jesus infuses a Christian with strength. But I can tell you that he does it. And I can tell you there is a way for you to live in that and enjoy it if you will practice it and if you will enable it in your life. So what in the world does that mean? How in the world are we supposed to practice the strength of Christ? 
Well, Paul gives us an answer a couple of chapters back. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean you can work your way to heaven, just do a lot of good deeds at Christmas and everything will be right between you and God? No, that's not what Paul's talking about. The only way that you can be right with God is because as the choir has already sung to us, there, there was this moment in a manger in Bethlehem where God invaded the world to make sure there was a way for you to be right with him. You cannot make yourself right with God, but a way has been made to make you right with God. A way has been made for you to be right with the creator of the universe. You cannot work your way to heaven, but you can believe in and surrender to the way that Jesus purchased for you to make it to heaven and to be satisfied today. The microphone on my smartphone has been messed up for like, I don't know, feels like six months. So if you've talked to me, usually I'm on speaker because I sometimes it's in and out. And then my wife's phone started messing up too. So I think it was last week she went and got us a couple of new phones. So she's been enjoying her phone for a week and mine's still sitting in the box. I haven't even taken it out. And, and part of the reason is the last three or four weeks have just been a, a crazy, hectic time for me. So I'm, I feel like I'm behind in everything. And for some reason in my mind, taking that phone out of that box, it just sounds like a stress pit that I want nothing to do with. You know? I don't, don't want to mess with it. So I'm just going to be all right for a few more days, and eventually I'll, I'll get around to it. But can you imagine, what if I don't get around to it? I mean, what if I just leave that phone in the box? Well, what if I don't get it activated? That's the first thing you have to do, right? You have to activate the phone in order for it to work, for, order for you to make calls. What, what if I, I don't get it activated? I, I can't use it. Or what if I activate it, but then I don't charge it, and it dies, you know? I might be able to use it for a day or two, but, but you know, then after that, there's, there's nothing. I can't use it. There's no power to it. Or, or what if I get a little notification that says, hey, you need to update your operating system, and I just ignore that, you know, for months and months. Eventually, not doing that is probably going to mess up something on my phone. You know, a smartphone, it's a, it's a neat, noble thing to have in life. But in order for it to do anything in your daily life, you have to activate it, you have to charge it, and you have to keep it updated. You know, being a Christian, man, it sounds like a neat, noble thing to do in life. But if your faith is not activated, charged, and updated, it serves no purpose in your daily life. My wife and I have four kids you know, we didn't sit in the delivery room after they were born and went, all right, cool, we're done. Yeah, that's it. We, we got this kid thing out of the way now. We're, we're fine, you know, nothing else we need to do. No, it was just beginning, right? It was just starting. That was the activation, and then there's ongoing charging, and then there's always an update, you know. There, there's things that have to be done. See, I've been called to be a, a father and a friend and an encourager and a shepherd and an entertainer and a leader and a lot of other things to my kids until I stand over their casket or until they stand over mine. There's not a stopping point with our faith. I can't tell you exactly how we're infused with the strength of Christ, but I can tell you that the most magnificent and important thing that a Christian can do after they've been saved is to keep their relationship with Jesus activated, charged, and updated. 
to stay in that relationship, to pursue Jesus with all that you have all the days of your life. But maybe you're thinking, I'm just too worn out. I'm just too tired. I'm too overwhelmed. I just, I feel too weak. This whole thing about being found in Christ, it sounds great. This whole thing about, about being infused with the strength of Christ, I mean, it sounds great. And, and working out my salvation because I loved you, all of that sounds great, but I just got nothing in me. I, I got nothing in the tank to make it happen. Some of you are here this morning, and that's, that's your life this past week. You're a little afraid that's going to be your life this week. But let me just give you this one, one encouraging note. Technically and spiritually, it's not your tank, and it's not your strength. If you're a Christian, Jesus made this promise to you, and he made this promise with his very own blood. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you're tired, when you're weak, when you're weary, when you're scared, when you're overwhelmed, when you're worn out, when you feel like you have nothing left, and all you think you can do sit in the car in the hospital in the parking lot and say Jesus help that might be all you can do I want you to know that the promise of the Messiah the promise of the Savior the promise of the Son of God to those who follow him is this Jesus says I will meet you there I'll meet you there I'll meet you in the parking lot. I'll meet you at the hospital. I'll meet you at the funeral home. I'll meet you in that argument with your spouse. I'll meet you in that argument with your kids. I'll meet you in any and every moment when you are desperate, when you are weak, when you are overwhelmed. That's when you need me the most, and that's when I'll be there. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. That's the promise of the manger. That's the promise of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. It's the promise of Jesus. It cannot be taken away. Charles Spurgeon said this, I've seen the good man disappointed in his best hopes because he hath not won the battle in the first charge, laying down his arms and saying, I feel that I can do no good in this world. I've tried, but defeat awaits me. Perhaps it were better that I should be still and do no more. Some of you have been there this week. He goes on, I've seen the same man too for a while lie down and faint because, said he, I have sown much, but I have reaped little. I have strewed the sea by handfuls, but I have gathered only here or there an ear of precious grain. Some of you have been there this week too. And he says this, Oh, be not a craven. Play the man. Christ saith, up and be doing. Here's your catchphrase of the week. Be not the craven. And I got to be careful here because I have extended family who are cravens, and they're fantastic people, you know. So it's not just the last name thing here. But, it, but in ancient times, the word craven meant somebody who was lacking courage. That's great, isn't it? Look, don't, don't, don't be the craven. Play the man. Don't play the craven. Play the man. Be up and doing. Keep, keep working out your salvation. When you feel like you got nothing left, just take the next step. Just do the next right thing. It's not just playing the man either. You can play the woman too, right? 
Don't be a craven and play the man. Don't be a craven and, and play the woman. What does that look like? Spurgeon said he was talking to a senior adult lady in his church one day. She was a much older lady. She had a lot of health problems. And, and she told him that from time to time she really despaired because Satan was tempting her to despair and be discouraged and be downtrodden. But this is what she said to him that day. I am a little afraid, but I do not let other people know. Lest they should think that Christ's disciples are not a match for Satan. Why, sir, he is a chained enemy, is he not? He cannot come one link nearer to me than Christ lets him. Or when he roars ever so loudly, I am not afraid with any great fear of him, for I know it is only roaring. He cannot devour the people of God. <laughs> I met a 78-year-old woman yesterday that has become one of my new favorite people in the world simply because of her energy. This old woman, man, I would have loved her <laughs> just because of her energy toward God. Nothing can devour the people of God. Can I just say this? Just her story is enough to infuse the strength of Christ in your heart today. You know why? Because what she says is true. It's completely true. It is only roaring. That's all the enemy can do. So you can do all things, including listening to the roaring of the enemy, because all he can do is roar. There's a legend that's told that I was reading about this week about a, a very wealthy businessman that had heard about the Apostle Paul, and he really wanted to meet him. So as the story goes, he was in Rome and, and found Timothy and, and set up a meeting with Paul. And he got there to the prison where he was being held, and he, he went into his cell, so to speak, and, and when he got in there, he was a little taken back. Because he looked at Paul, he'd heard these amazing stories, and, and Paul looked like an old man. He looked frail. But, as the story goes, the merchant said this, he felt at once the strength, the serenity, and the magnetism of this man. Don't you love that? He steps in, he sees some old, frail man in the corner, but then that man turns to him, and the look in his eyes captivates this wealthy businessman. There was something magnetic and strong about this man that looked old and weak and frail. They talked for a little while, and then the wealthy merchant left, and then the rest of the story goes like this. Outside the cell, he asked Timothy, what's the secret of this man's power? I've never seen anything like it before. Did you not guess, replied Timothy? Paul is in love. The merchant looked puzzled. In love, he asked. Yes, said Timothy. Paul is in love with Jesus Christ. The merchant looked even more bewildered. Is, is that all, he asked. Timothy smiled and replied, that is everything. That is everything. Friend, love to Jesus Christ, it is everything. Being found in Christ, that is everything. Being infused with the strength 
of Christ. That is everything. Christ is everything, period. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. If you have Christ, you can do all things because you have Christ. 